You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. A garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Hey! What's up, my summer friends? This is the Banners broadcast on CelticsBlog.com. Hope you're enjoying the show. Hope you're again involved, interacting with our voicemail system. We've been having a fun time taking those. And what better way to keep the summer rolling, keep you distracted from these Red Sox over here, and get you excited for the Celtics season coming up than keeping it tuned in with us every single week here. We got every episode up over at CelticsBlog.com, on Libsyn, on iTunes, on every interface you can imagine. We are now on there. We are, we have made our statement in the podcast community, and we are now legit. Also now legit are two two of our newer writers over at Celtics Blog. So we're going to give you a chance to get familiar with these two today. In the blue, we have Greg Casoli, and we have in the green. He's going to have to help me with his last name, Mike Depresco. Mike DePresco. So here are our two newest writers from Celtics Blog. Mike, what was your favorite story of the last year? Was it this Paul Pierce one that we just heard over the last few days, retiring in green? It, it just had to bring tears to your eyes seeing him shooting at the facility the other day, huh? Yeah, yeah. He he's my favorite player of all time. So seeing him in the in the green again, and the, the fact that. The uh, equipment manager had his shoes lying around oh. to get it to him. That was, was really cool. There's just so much sanctimony around this organization, and sometimes it can just get over the top, but there, there are legitimate emotional moments with this team. Like when Paul Pierce came back for that first time with Brooklyn, I was in the building that night, and you will never hear the garden get louder than that. I've been to playoff games. I've been to epic regular season games. This was during the dead season when they were in last place, and the place was rocking to see Pierce come back. Greg, what's up with you, man? So we got Pierce. What are you looking at this offseason? What was your favorite moment of this offseason? Uh, I'd probably go with signing Garden Hayward. Um, that July 4th day was a little bit crazy, but um, just keeping up on Twitter and then finding out we finally got him was really an exciting time. I think it takes us to a new level, um, maybe not a championship level, but a point where we could get into the finals with a couple of lucky breaks. It might not be the best word. 
It's incredible. Back-to-back years, we see the two biggest signings in Celtics history on the free agent market. Always a place that was never a destination. Everyone always wrote us off as free agent destinations. And now two of the marquee guys in back-to-back years come here. Cap, cap organization is obviously a big part of that. I say it all the time. Having your cap in line is the most important thing you can accomplish as a rebuilding team. We've seen so many teams butcher that over the last couple of years. But is there any other reason you think that the Celtics have made themselves a destination finally after all these years? Stevens. I think it's all Stevens, really. Brad Stevens and winning. Um, but I'm also totally in the tank for Coach Stevens. So he's my guy. It's incredible, and he's done an amazing job here. You can point to that. All the moves uh, Danny Ainge has made, you can point to that as maybe number one, right up there with KG and Allen, that Brad Stevens signing, the way it's propelled him back in the, the face of the NBA. But every good player, or every good coach, rather, needs a good player, and he's found that in Isaiah Thomas. The organization has found that in Isaiah Thomas. And I'm going to use today as a day to get angry about all the Isaiah Thomas doubt, all the people continuing to push those trade conversations out there. But we have a conversation to be had when it comes to Thomas. He's up after this upcoming season. Every day they keep him is only going to hurt that trade value. I'm all opposed to trading him. I will say this. they got to make that decision soon. Sign him or trade him because waffling one way or the other is only going to make the situation harder when it comes. It's going to come no matter what. So, Mike, I'll ask you, what do you think the ultimate um, decision is going to be on Isaiah Thomas, and when do you think that's going to come? I, I think you got to keep him uh, because, you know, he, he's the heart of the team. Everything they've gone through since becoming an actual competitive team started with him. So, and I think cap-wise – they don't have any cap space now, and he's only making six million. So it's either they trade him and free up, you know, six million if they take draft picks back, or they sign him, have the bird rights, they you know sign him to whatever he wants, and then you still have him as your you know maybe first option, second option, whatever it is. But uh, I I would think that it could happen in as early as you know early season because of the extension. Uh, ability they the Celtics can sign him to, or it could happen at the beginning of you know next summer, July first. So on Isaiah Thomas, I I love the point, Mike. They're capped out at this point. They have reached their cap maximum on the free agent market. They're not going to be able to bring anyone in from the outside now with the way their salaries are lined up. I love where they are as a capped out team, but if you're going to get rid of Isaiah, there's no clear replacement to bring in here, be that number one scoring option. It's crazy. For so long, we talked about, you know, who can we get as this top scoring option? Who can we get as our superstar? He's proven it for multiple years now that he is that guy at the top of the lineup who can score when you need him to, who can be consistent. That's the most important thing. He's not just having these huge nights on random nights. He was putting it in every single night. The biggest mark against them, the biggest argument against the extension is the age factor. When we'll start to see decline with Thomas. We haven't seen an ounce of it yet. Every single year he's been better. Greg, are you concerned at all about the decline? Do you think it's coming soon? We've seen him injured the last two years at the very end of the season. But he did bounce back off the wrist injury. The hip injury is obviously a much bigger concern than that wrist injury was. Does his age concern you when it comes to giving him that contract? 
I think a little bit. Um, and I understand where people are coming from when they do this, but I feel like we talk about IT as if he's older than he actually is. He's, what, 28 now? And typically players' primes go into the early 30s there. Um, and I get that he's smaller, and that makes the, the potential for if he loses any athleticism uh, to maybe have a steeper decline, uh, age-related decline. But um, I think we get ahead of ourselves sometimes a little bit in that in that regard, and I think giving three to four years to him is not that frightening to me, uh, particularly since the alternative is really losing him for a player that's going to make $5 million, which is not going to give you nearly the production that he provides. It's another good point against, against trading Thomas is his salary right now. you got to have the return be within $5 million of that salary. And, you know, a guy making $10 million, a guy making under $5 million in this league, what, what really is going to be the return you get for Thomas? And I think at people underrate in team building how important it is to have familiar faces in the lineup, have guys who have built trust within the team, within the organization. Thomas has done that. He's shown a commitment. He's played injured. He's shown that as recently as last year. It's just he's just become a trustworthy option here. And within the function of the team, the way it's made up, if you pull a cog as big as twenty eight points per game, the passing he gave them in that offense, just all the different things. He basically was their offense on most nights. You pull that out, I think you take a couple steps back, maybe in the rebuilding territory. I don't think people realize how dramatic it could be if you take him out of here. Maybe it's the fact that we haven't seen him gone for extended periods of time when he's been here. It's dramatic. We have one game sample size, maybe two to three game sample sizes where they've done better without him, where everyone starts screaming from the back that they're better without him. But same as 10, 15 games, I think it'd be staggering what we see without him in there. We're going to talk about the makeup of the team coming up in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about that Gordon Hayward introduction. It was a little weird, wasn't it, Mike? The fact that he wasn't in Boston, the fact that he didn't take the picture with the jersey, all of that. It was a conference call. I've really never seen anything like it. What what do you make of that? Yeah, it kind of goes in with how the whole free agency thing happened, too. Everything was just weird with uh, you know the report getting tweeted out, and then now we, we have to listen to his intro on the phone. And I was actually, as a fan, I'm waiting to see him hold up the jersey, and I have to wait for a video to see that he's fine. You know, he's wearing 20. But, you know, the things he said was uh, was really nice, and I like to, hear, I like to uh, hear that he appreciated the fact that Al Horford and Isaiah showed up, which, uh, which I think is a testament to the culture of the team and how he also commented on... Um, Coach Brad and Micah Shrewsbury, how he was immediately comfortable with them. And I think it goes back to what Greg was saying. Brad Stevens has been, you know, the main attraction to this team other than, you know, the fan base or Isaiah himself. Stevens has to deal with a totally new-look roster now. There's only three guys left from that 2014-15 team that rushed to the playoffs. Just a few more left from last season. Uh, Jalen Brown still in the mix. But definitely more rookies, more everything across the board. I think the biggest question they have to face is how Thomas Hayward going to interact within that offense. I like how they have ball handlers everywhere, it seems like. Hayward just seems like the guy who can take it himself. Doesn't really need to be created for it. But what do you think the dynamic of Isaiah and Hayward is going to be like, Greg? Is Isaiah going to have to take back a few shots here or there, really look to facilitate more as point guard? 
I think maybe a, a couple shots, but honestly, I think his his ability to play off the ball now because they can just give the ball to someone else to create some offense is going to get him even better looks. I mean, he's incredibly difficult to stay in front of as it is, so having people in rotation and closing out on him, I think he's going to feast on some of those um, opportunities and hopefully get a few clearer looks from beyond the arc as well. He has a tendency to kind of throw up three-pointers at the end of the shot clock, and I think now Boston's just got a lot more to work with offensively. Um, and then I'm hoping Stevens also sort of staggers their time on the court so that Hayward can take on sort of more of that creation, burden of creation, or Isaiah. One of the two of them can take that on in the second unit as well. Um, so hopefully not too many shots sacrificed in that regard. Yeah, we talked a lot about lineups last week, too. Who's going to complement each guy the best? I think it seems clear that we might see a couple of different starting lineups this year, depending on who they go up against. Just reading Stevens. It's become easy to read Stevens at this point, his tendencies, what he likes to do. He loves the matchup game on a night-to-night basis. But what are you looking for to complement Hayward and Thomas, who are probably, well, Horford as well, are probably the three shoe-in starters with two guys needed to come in around them. Three very offensively oriented players. I think Hayward, probably a little bit of a plus on the defensive side. Horford as well, but not especially strong defensive players. So, Mike, do you think they need even more offensive facilitators around those two guys? I know Smart would probably fit in well as another ball handler. Or do you think they need defense around those guys? Is it necessary that you try to squeeze in Crowder in there, Morris in there, have guys who can switch on defense and really make it a stronger group? Because they did struggle on defense last year, and they lost games because of it. Yeah, I think with with Isaiah, Hayward, and Horford, you have enough um, distributors and playmakers where I think if you put Crowder and Morris or even Aaron Baines in the starting lineup, I think it would work a lot more because, uh, you know, with Hayward and Thomas, you're going to have a lot of perimeter offense. And you, you've seen last year they ran the, uh, the offense around Horford a lot, and it worked uh, pretty well. So I think if you put Morris in there, Smart, even Jalen Brown, Aaron Baines, you get, you know, some defensive force to, you know, not hide Isaiah, but make it easier on him uh, on the defensive end. I think it's fair to say hi to Isaiah. They really got to have guys out there who can switch strong with him. It's kind of the biggest dilemma in my head, head, especially on Smart. Do you use Smart and his offensive creation to help the bench, or do you use his great switching, his defensive tenacity to help out the off, a starting unit? And I think they're going to get a little creative with how they do this. I think they'll experiment a lot this year. But experimentation can come with its downsides as well. It's a very new-look roster. We're going to keep saying it all the way into this next season, how many new faces there are here, young faces. you got many rookies on this squad. Jason Tatum, Ante Zizek, Yabusele, Abdel Nader's here for his first season. And you might even see Semi Ojale. There's just young guys for days here. The summer league roster is going to be in flux on this roster. Greg, does that concern you at all, all these young guys? Especially now, we see Paul Pearson here, a veteran voice, not going to be able to play for the team. Maybe being around the team, we'll see what kind of capacity he actually returns to Boston in. But Gerald Green doesn't look like he's going to be back yet. He was a nice veteran voice on this team. Avery Bradley, 
was maybe the veteran voice on this team going back to the big three days. He's out of here now. I think leadership, more than many, is an important quality for a team to have. And they've had leaders throughout the years here, but now we've seen some of them go. Does that lack of leadership concern you at all? Do you think there's anyone else who can step up in that spot? I mean, I think Isaiah can fill that role uh, fairly well. He's certainly a charismatic individual. Um, he makes me want to follow his lead. Um, and I think Stevens, not to keep going and beating that drum, but I think Stevens can sort of play that leadership role and also will also go a long way in figuring out the roles, the basketball roles for some of those younger players um, just through that experimentation you talked about. I think he's not... He's willing to give up a couple early games if that's what it comes to, and I think this is where there's a spot here where there it's advantageous to be in the Eastern Conference because you might be able to experiment and just pick on these. Oh yeah, good point. Lower tier teams. Yeah. Uh, so I think in terms of figuring out the roles, he'll he'll have play a heavy hand in that. In terms of sort of rallying the troops and getting people excited, I think players like uh, Thomas and even Orford play that role hopefully i forgot to mention before we started the show our good friends at clns media really back in the program so far a lot of new programs flying in over there coverage is going to be even more expanded next year we got the post game show coming back so follow at clns media a lot of cool partnership between us over at celtics blog and them helping us get this thing going like i said just a great great lineup of shows over there along with the banners broadcast right here so download the clns media app you can hear us every week on there it's available on all platforms so if you got an android you got apple either one of those is good to listen to our show listen to a variety of great other shows like the Bobcast. We got that over there too. So we do a round table here every single week and it's timely because there's turmoil in Cleveland and we have heard so much this year from all these people on Twitter. It's become one of the biggest basketball memes is Danny Ainge's inability to pull the trigger. I saw New Orleans, their SB Nation page talking about how one day Davis is going to become free. It's going to be a lot of talk about Davis to the Celtics, and that he's not going to be able to get it done, something of that capacity. But I will hand the Celtics uh, and Ainge doubters in particular one thing, and that's that it does start to look right now like the Cavaliers might be vulnerable. you got LeBron James up after this season. you got him going crazy. Not crazy, but murmuring about Cleveland not spending enough, not having enough assets, not having enough cap room to put a competitive team out there. And he's dealt with two finals losses now in Cleveland, but one thing he hasn't dealt with is a knockout blow within the Eastern Conference. And I think it's no coincidence that the Celtics got better this offseason. The Cavaliers really didn't do all that much besides sign Jeff Green, bring an international guy over. And it feels like LeBron in his contract year is getting a little antsy there. I don't think he wants to leave, but I think he wants to see something done, wants them to show him something, that they're committed to making that team better. We haven't seen it yet, but it could be coming. And this is kind of my argument in that regard, and we're going to open this up to a little roundtable discussing right now. If you really pushed to make that Paul George trade, maybe give up one maybe two future assets just to get it done. And obviously we didn't know Hayward was coming yet at the time, but I think they had a pretty good idea. You suddenly have that knockout blow to LeBron, and I think there's a compelling case that if you knock LeBron out in the East this year, 
he leaves after next year. And if that's how West, suddenly you're in full control of the Eastern Conference. That's second-guessing now, but Mike, do you think the Celtics have what it takes to beat the Cavaliers right now? And if not, should they really push to stack up the roster this year to give LeBron that knockout blow and try to get him out of there? I, I honestly think that they do. They they could they could take them out, I think, because with with the addition of Al Horford last year, we saw Isaiah got got exponentially better. And he improved his shooting, but the floor was way, way more open for him. And with Hayward, it's just going to be so much easier for him. And we've seen him feast on one-on-ones or big man switches. He just feasts. So I think the harder the Celtics get to guard and the more versatile they've gotten on the defensive end, I think it's going to be hard for LeBron to you know, do it all against this team because there's not a lot of two-way players on the Cavs. I think he might be the only one that's legitimate. So in a league where you need a lot of two-way players, they don't have many. And LeBron's the best player in the world, but he's getting up there. He's playing a lot of minutes. I think it kind of goes back to 2010. It might be the year where he takes the jersey off and then he leaves again. After losing the Celtics. <laughs> oh, that would be something. Two two recurrences of history of LeBron taking the jersey off, getting knocked out by the Celtics. It's amazing. The last time LeBron wasn't in the finals was 2010, seven years ago when the Celtics were in the finals. You might have the front end and the back end dominated by the Celtics. These storylines are just incredible. And I was watching that finals game in 2010, a very sad moment for all of us as Celtics fans. And even back then, they just couldn't rebound. It feels like our whole lifetime, we've just not had a Celtics team that can rebound. Cavaliers, that's one of their biggest strengths. I think there's a lot of matchup issues when it comes to the Cavaliers, and that's what gives the Celtics so much trouble. Not a lot of rim protection on the Celtics. Rebounding, defense, there's weaknesses in all of those areas, and the Cavaliers have been able to expose it. Greg, which one of those areas do you think really needs to be shored up? Because the dominating philosophy today seems to be get as much offense as you can. The league is just battling offenses all the time. Not a whole lot of defense in the league. Great defenses in the league nowadays. So the Celtics, they certainly got their fair share of offense right now. But which one of those areas needs to be shored up the most to beat Cleveland? Uh, I'd say defense, specifically defense on LeBron James, though, which might be impossible to shore up (laughs) um that guy i mean he just kills us he's so good at basketball and i don't know i think sort of structurally the celtics make more sense than cleveland but there's just such a talent gap because they have lebron that there's i don't have a lot of hope in us knocking them off in this in this next year without maybe like an ankle tweak to lebron or maybe even Kyrie. if they lost one of if they lost Kyrie, i think we'd have a better chance shot too but I don't know. He's just really good. It's it's the talent factor. I mean, this is this is the Banners broadcast where we tell you LeBron's the best. <laughs> That's what yeah. you come to the show to learn about. But <laughs> it's we we talk about analytics all the time. We talk about team makeup, and really, the league can just boil down to being as simple as. Get as many all-star bodies as you can, and that's going to put you in the best position to win at the end of the day. I think that's the biggest argument all these people who are clamoring for Paul George were making, that you need the best guys. Depth, important, but overrated when you put it next to having the best guys. Uh, Defense, great to have it. Memphis, Utah had it, but they didn't have the best bodies in the game, so it only brought them so far. 
you need those elite all-star guys. And I'm just wondering right now, I don't know if either of you have an answer, but now that Paul George has passed, they have so many assets still on the table. Is there another guy you see in the coming year, two, that the Celtics can make a push for? Because I still think they need one more guy. It looks like they do, certainly. Yeah, I mean, we saw uh, today from Chris Mannix that maybe... Well, not maybe, but Anthony Davis is on their radar at least that they're they're watching closely to New Orleans and because uh, they they went after Demarcus Cousins and if this year doesn't go well because the last half of the season for them didn't really go that well yeah. um, with the two bigs but Demarcus Cousins is a free agent after this year if you know he wants to go that leaves New Orleans back to square one where they were before. Davis is signed through 2020 on a max, even though it's you know smaller than what the new maxes are. So if the, the Celtics wanted to unload some young players for Anthony Davis, I would certainly do it. I just don't know if he's going to be available. He's so good. This has been so much Davis talk. He's reminiscent of KG. I've said it from day one mm-hmm. on him. His overwhelming larger-than-life impact on the game is impeccable. Both ends of the floor, he brings it at the highest level. He's sneaky. One of the best players in the game, period, at this point. He gets overshadowed in New Orleans by all the losing. It hasn't gone to him yet, but that's definitely the guy to keep an eye on. So let's let's talk about that situation a little bit. Greg, Cousins is up after this year. It's hard to get a read on what his intentions are, where that team's going in a very heavy West. I, for one, think they'll be a playoff team. I believe a lot in both of those big men. That's just why I see them being at the bottom of the playoffs. But... What do you think Cousins' intentions are going to be? Is he staying no matter what? Is he staying barring they make the playoffs? Or is he going to test that market no matter what? I think he's going to test it uh, either way. I think going to the playoffs may go a long way in sort of convincing him to stay there. Um, I've been calling the Pelicans to be a playoff team like since they got Anthony Davis and was right one time. So sometimes I feel foolish about that. But I think I'm fascinated by that pairing. Um, I think there's so many teams that are going smaller and smaller, and now they have essentially two massive human beings that are also extremely skilled. I'm curious to see if they can make that work in a way that sort of exploits everyone else's tendency to go small, just sort of like zigging when everyone else is zagging. Yeah, so we talked so much on the program today about the situation of the Celtics, their bearing in the Eastern Conference compared to the Cavaliers. You just can't wait for that season to start. Under three months now until NBA opening day, it's unbelievable how fast these off-season seasons go. They really do a great job of making the whole season just round out so perfectly. It feels like we always have something to talk about, whether it's summer league, whether it's off-season action going on. And on this program, we give you the voice to get involved every single week. We do voicemails here on the Banners broadcast. The only one of all the Celtics podcasts I know of that lets you guys call in, let your voice be heard. So every single week, we record on Tuesdays, we release on Wednesdays. So by next Tuesday, you want to get your voicemail in if you want to be on next week's show. we got a whole lot of good ones to go right here to end this program. 978-595-1744. You just call up, leave your 10 to 12 second thoughts, questions, whatever you want to fire at us. Just make sure you don't swear because we don't do that here on our Celtics blog. Anyways, we're going to do this week's real quick, get us out of here, so I'll fire it to you guys one by one. We'll start off with you, Mike, on this one right here. Let's hear it. Hey, Bobby, who's going to have more of a role, 
Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum? So, Mike, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who has the bigger role on the team this year? I think if we go back to what we were talking about with potential lineups, if we're going to go defense or offense, uh, I think I thought we should go defense. So I would say Jalen Brown because he can he can guard one through four. He's shown an improved three point stroke, and uh, he's got he's he's still twenty years old. We give him more minutes, he's going to get better. So I think Brown now, long term, I would go Tatum because of his scoring, but Brown this year I would say has the bigger role. Yeah, I think, like I said earlier, on the offense, you're looking for some defensive versatility. You hit the nail on the head right there. Brown has shown to be able to make switches. He has the physical uh, tools to be a good defender, I'd say. We didn't see it a lot last year. We saw certain strokes against LeBron, some other guys where he was really able to D up. I think there's a compelling case to get Brown in that starting lineup, really push him as a defensive player, because that could be where his strengths end up. Don't understate how important Tatum could be on the bench, though. You need to have a great scorer on the bench who can get you 10, 15 points a night. We saw that in Kelly Olynyk, and he really became almost a uh, undervalued presence on that bench. He was just a very steady hand scoring on the bench. You need a guy like that. So Jason Tatum could be the new Kelly in that regard. So I wouldn't understate his impact immediately either. We got another one. This one's for Greg. Yeah, hi. This is Steve from New Jersey, and um, I've been a Celtics fan since 1970 and a long-time Celtics blog reader. I was wondering if you thought that if the Celtics decided it was not in their best interest to sign IT to a max contract at the uh, the end of the year, would they trade him before the trade deadline? And if yes, what type of return could they expect? And uh, the third question on follow-up would be, uh, would it be better for them to wait until after the season and try to do a sign-and-trade, um, and would IT cooperate with that? Um, love your uh, blog and looking forward to listening to more of your podcast. Thanks. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit already when it comes to trading Thomas. It just... They've waited so long at this point that it would feel kind of strange at this point to dump him off. I think the only scenario that would make sense is if the season doesn't go quite like we thought it was going to. Maybe Thomas struggles early on and starts to show a little bit of decline. The hip starts to come in to play. Um, maybe he has a tough time coming back from that. I think in that regard, you might have a case to trade him by the deadline. Maybe he'd still have a little bit of value left and you could kind of reorganize your efforts going forward. There's also the question about the timing of the signing. You know, there's, it really feels like there's nothing left to do this offseason besides re-sign him, re-sign Smart maybe. Do you think they're re- just waiting until the last possible moment on Thomas to just see if he's worth it, Greg? Yeah, I think they want, if I were them at least, I would want the full year just to see what he does. I think he took... A small leap last year, but it was a leap from sort of star level to superstar level. So to make sure that he can still produce offensively at that level and then also see if they can build sort of a more coherent defense around him. Um, Because the year before last, they were still weren't great with Isaiah on the floor. But in the aggregate, they had one of the best defensive defenses in the league. Um, And their shift in personnel wasn't that much. I mean, I don't think losing Jared Sellinger is the reason they dropped um, on that end of the floor. So I think from a team-building standpoint, it makes sense to just see if he stays at where he's at, if he sort of regresses to the mean of his career, or if he 
maybe he even goes up one more level and then it's a no-brainer. You give him the max as much money as he wants. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but you never know. We got another question for Mike on who, but Isaiah Thomas. Yes. Uh, what do you think is the likelihood of Isaiah Thomas taking a pay cut to uh, facilitate Danny Ainge making uh, roster improvements next summer? This has been brought up quite a bit, the prospect of an Isaiah Thomas pay cut. Maybe they get a deal done now, and maybe it will be less than if they wait until the last minute. Give them the pay raise for next year. And I talked about this on the postgame show quite a bit. A lot of people seem to think that if Thomas doesn't get that pay raise this summer for next year, when he'd be playing way below second team status at a, a seven million dollar deal i think it is get a deal done now maybe one less year a little bit less dollars per year do you think there's any possibility thomas would do that mike i mean we've heard a bunch of times he talks about the brinks truck (laughs) Uh, so i think he's been one of the biggest bargains in the league for like three three years now uh i because we saw Lowry, Kyle Lowry got three years, $100 million, mm-hmm. which isn't a max, but he saved his owner some money in the luxury tax. But I'm not sure he would do it to the extent where how much how much maneuverability will that give the Celtics if he takes $100 million instead of 100 whatever million Because yeah. they're going to be in luxury anyway. That's what we talked about earlier. There's really nothing more they can do at this point. I mean, maybe... He'd fit into a trade better at a certain figure, but that's about it. I mean, free agency's done for this team. They're capped out. The cap is not going up at a rate where they'll have more room for a max level guy in the coming years. I'm not even sure who they'd go after in the coming years on the free agent market that would warrant that, and it's just it's just not possible. So, like we said earlier, where they're capped out, what else are you going to spend it on besides Thomas, besides Smart? The only interesting thing is the luxury tax numbers because that's coming. On the next contract, they're going to be in the luxury tax. And when it comes to tax, you want to be contending for a championship if you're in the luxury tax. I think that's something ownership should be expecting. Last season was phenomenal at the money they were at. But say they were in the luxury tax, last season probably doesn't look so hot, the result they had. So... It's definitely an interesting territory they're going to get into now where for the coming years, they're going to be playing multiple years of luxury tax once they get these contracts done. Can they get the roster to a place where they can be contending for championships in that time? Because we talk a lot about affording the luxury tax. Of course they can do it, but it becomes much easier, I think, if you jump from the Eastern Conference finals to the NBA finals where the revenue jump is insanely high at that point. They're going to have to make that push for the finals next year, the year after that. I think it's crucial. So we'll see whether the Cavaliers fall off, whether they have to make a move in that regard, but I think it's crucial they try and take another jump. We've seen them do it every single year. But I think it's crucial they do it at this juncture now with the team they have in place. One more question for Greg, and then we're out of here. I'm calling from Western Mass. I'm just saying, I'm here to say about how maybe the Celtics could try to put up a package like they did for KG, including a lot of young assets and picks for Anthony Davis. That's it. 
Anthony Davis talk. We're going to hear it a lot now just because one guy passes and the next guy is up on deck. It seems like Davis is that guy at this point. This is how I'll ask it for you, Greg, to cap off the show. If there's going to be a time when Davis, when they even start listening on Davis, because right now I think they're hanging up the phones no matter what, when will be the time where they finally pick up the phones in New Orleans and listen to an offer? I think maybe, and this is a big maybe, uh, the trade deadline this year if they're if they get off to a really slow start. Um, and it seems like Cousins is going to leave in free agency, and then they'll be stuck with basically Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, which is not that exciting. Um, but I would give up. I'd give up any combination of players and picks to get Davis. I just don't think it's that realistic. But he is. Incre- he's. Better than anyone we have on the roster by a considerable margin, I, I would say. we got, we got to start thinking about the inroads in the Pelicans organization where maybe we can get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there like we did with the Kevin Garnett trade as they bring up. Crazy. It's almost a 10-year anniversary of that Kevin Garnett trade. We're going to have to get someone on this program in the coming weeks who was around for that craziness. I slightly remember it, but I was a little bit too young at that point to really fully grasp it. So we're going to remember that epic trade in its full capacity in the coming weeks now as we get to celebrate 10 years of that big three team coming together now. It's crazy how the time moves. So we had Greg Casoli on here. Mike, uh, I already forgot how to say it. Help me out. DePrisco. DePrisco, two of the newest writers at CelticsBlog.com. Like I said, if you want to leave a voicemail on this program, it's 978-595-1744. This is the Banners Broadcast on Celtics Blog, where we make your voice count. Thanks to the folks at CLNS for getting us started out here. Thanks to the thousands who have downloaded this program in the opening weeks here. It's been a blast doing it for you. We're going to have video at some point once I finally master it. It's just been a tough process getting going with that, but we'll have it for you. You'll get to see all of our faces, get familiar with us. And that's it for Mike, for Greg, for myself, Bobby Manning. Keep on having a good summer, and we will talk to you next week. That's the show. Peace. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Welcome.